0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is Thursday, and it's another episode of the MSP Initiative, but we're mobile in the RV Channel Strong Tour going across America right now, so hopefully my
1: connection sticks in there. We bring back the one, the only, Mr. Dave Sober. How you doing, Dave? I am rocking and rolling. I'm, I'm watching your progress as you guys move across the country.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a lot
1: of miles in a short period of time,
0: so uh, you got to be ready for that mentally. You know,
1: you know it. You got to you got to keep got to keep Fuck the energy know. level up, right? <laughs> it, it, exactly. So I have uh, I have our
0: friends from Packard, Growers, Stock Saver, Connect Booster. Got uh, Matt Lee from Iconic IT decided to come along with us for a part of the leg of the trip. And we're, uh, you know, got a couple other people. I said it for us already. And then we have a couple other people meeting us already uh, well ready for to groups on the trip. And uh, we have some friends that are kind of stopping in different parts of the door as we're going through America. So, so far, so good. Everybody seems to be, you know, on their p's and q's. We're following all, you know, the directions. But uh,
1: it's just nice to be back out on the road, literally speaking. You know what I mean? I, I know some of you guys are addicted. He's got to be out there. <laughs> Well, you know. Listen, you know, you got to create your situation, right? Totally true. Totally true.
0: Uh, so, things obviously are progressing. We seem to check in with you every two to four weeks or so. Uh, so, the question I want to go through, and I've been following some of your progress here on on your podcast, right, with so that. Okay. So, I, I, you know, I wanted to get an idea from you on. You know, a couple of topics that you brought up I thought were pretty interesting. Cool. Uh, one was, you know, does it matter to the end customer what brains you have in your stack? And I actually put a little bit of thought into this, you know, you know, as you actually put the topic out there. And I think from a big vendor perspective, there probably is some onus there, right? Like Microsoft's pretty big or Apple's pretty big. You know, the MSC-centric range may be a little bit less household names, so they just don't necessarily care. So I'm curious, like, as you were doing your research for this, you know, and, and hopefully I'm sure you've talked to different people, different MSCs, obviously you've been in an industry for a long time. You know, what is the de- demarcation point between large enough that the end customer cares or small enough that...
1: They just need a chat box. Yeah, so the, the, it's a great question. And for those that didn't catch it, I did an editorial. It's out as a YouTube or a bonus episode on my podcast. And I, and I was asked by one of my Patreon supporters, you know, how much do customers care about br- the brands that they do that you do business with? And so you asked, you asked the right questions, but I want to go one step further because the real person that matters on this is the end customer. All that really matters is who is the understanding that the end customer has of these brands. You mentioned two, let's take them on right away, like Microsoft and Apple. I think there is some level of, of differentiation on a, few, a select few brands. We might be able to call them the big tech ones, because I would, I would lump like Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, the big five. They probably have some level of actual from an end customer perspective. The reason is very particular is, is those companies have a relationship with end customers that is personal as well as business you've got a relationship with apple right you own an iphone you probably have an emotional connection to your phone but if you're an android user you own a google device you have experience with them on a consumer level and you interact with that technology all the time the big thing about those five is that they are in your life every single day and you cannot escape them now doesn't end customer care about those brands? I'd say a little bit, like it's non-zero, right? It's non-zero. But if you, the technology provider has a recommendation, you're probably able to overcome it if you needed to. But, but the question is, do they care? I don't think a, a, a end customer is gonna buy from you because you say, Oh, I do business with Microsoft. I think they kind of expect you to do that. I think they expect you to understand those big five companies that I was talking about, and it's essentially irrelevant. Now let's go, let's go a little bit deep, right? Let's go into the kind of the next level of big companies, HP, Cisco, uh, <laughs> you know like the the these these big brand name, Lenovo, like anybody in these and they're generally going to be in the in the hardware space, right? Cuz they're very large. I think this is the instant where it does not matter. If you go to if you go to most end customers and you sell them your brand of whatever, right? We do business with Lenovo. We do business with HP. We do they are going to take your recommendation. I might, give a little okay. a, I might give a little asterisk for Apple and the Mac. There are, you know, there are going to be people that are like, you know, hardcore Mac people, and they're going to probably, as business owners, look at it from the perspective of I don't want to be retrained, or I don't want my people to be retrained. They're going to, they're going to weigh that. But you could overcome it. I would probably advise you not to try. <laughs> but. If you if you go to most business owners and you say, "Hey, I know you you buy Lenovo laptops. Uh, we're going to switch out for you know H, for Dell ones." They're going to just say yes. They don't care, and you definitely get the further back if you recommend one firewall brand or networking switch, the end customer just does not care. But 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 the, but they, there, there's a demarcation point, right? Because I would assume
0: everything we talked about so far has been about SMB, and I know that that is quantified differently depending on who you talk to, but once you get into slightly larger organizations,
1: they may have a different opinion on these things, right? So, sure, I think the answer is Yes but it's only gonna really come from a contract relationship perspective. I really think, I mean, I don't think that these are not buyers that are generally gonna be buying for emotional reasons. If you're dealing with say a mid-market company and you're dealing with the IT shop, they may say to you, hey, we have a three-year contract for support with Cisco. We're very happy with that. Like you can overcome that. If you came in and said, look, I've got a 15-year experience with, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, Meraki or or no, sort you know, like think of somebody. I'm trying to come ubiquity, right? And I want to put in a different wi- wireless access point. They're probably going to still go with your recommendation because they've brought you in for your expertise, and that's the theme of where I'm going with this: is expertise will tr- will always beat out that brand loyalty. A- at almost any level, that's what happens when you bring in system integrators, solution provider, var, whatever level so, they're at. It, it wins. So, so then, Dave, does it matter about being the platinum
0: partner for XYZ vendor or the you know gold for solution provider for XYZ. Does that does that matter then? If the end customer just doesn't really, it's, yeah, they're really just buying an outcome, right? Does does that marketing make a difference?
1: Not, not really. <laughs> not really. Now, it's going, to make a, it's going to make a difference to the MSP, the solution provider, the, the reseller, the system integrator in terms of their ability to execute, their ability to get a good margin, their ability to get monies to put into market development. Like, I'm, I'm not dismissing all of that value. That value, however, is to the provider, not to the end customer. And that's where, uh, you know, my my statement is is do not get that hung up on these vendor v- vendor name brands out to the end customer because ultimately doesn't really matter. So the so the logos in the bottom of the website side of hey we work with all these companies
0: you're telling me that's not going to really make a difference from the
1: buyer at this point. Not really. Not really. It's it's the you know, and not so much that I would I wouldn't put much energy there because of its such a negligible difference. There are things you can do that'll make such a better dif- better difference in terms of the way you position it. Like if you took that energy, time and money and made sure your own messaging was more targeted or more specific or slightly better polished or a little bit more effort or or did better measurement, all of those moves are better and i like to think about this always i ask the question of this or that in a vacuum sure it's fine right if you say like does the brand matter uh maybe but does it matter more than all of the other things i can do when all of the things when i only have 25 hours in a day (laughs) right like i i only have so much time so much resources so much money i want to make sure i'm putting that time and energy in exactly the right spot Fair enough. So, let me actually go slightly to the left of this conversation Then
0: The concept of channel conflict has been around for a long time. Long time. Where your end vendor and and your end customer, right, you're sandwiched in between that and now all of a sudden somebody goes around from the direct team, they're communicating directly with the end customer from your upstream vendor and then you're now in a bad position in certain instances. So, really, if you follow what you've just said, the positioning of, hey, I'm not working, I'm not concentrating on brands, I'm concentrating on my delivery, my brand, my story helps negate the reality of channel competition
1: degree. I believe that 100%, like 100%. And I can see this, by the way, in where the monies are made. So I just, you know, I literally was just uh, quoting on this on yesterday's podcast, Google had some new new metrics talking about how well their partners are doing in their channel program, right? So for every dollar spent in the Google, uh, on Google Cloud technology in 2020, partners are generating $5.32 in their own offerings, okay? Oh. Now that's Google. <laughs> and last I checked, they are, they're not giving you a whole bunch of options. They're not like a massive partner opportunity kind of company. But for every dollar spent with Google, $5.32 in, uh, in those, those different. Now, here's where it also gets really interesting. The partners in the Google ecosystem, on average, are growing at a rate of 35% year over year. One in five of those are growing at 75% year over year. And again, wow. Right. And again, I'm not sitting here going, you know, Google's the most channel friendly guys out there. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. So I look at this and I go, look, I get the idea of worrying about, you know, I don't want my vendor partners coming in and, and causing problems. Right. I don't want them calling to the same list. But remember to a certain degree, there is a level of diminishing returns for them, particularly the smaller you are as a provider, the much less those vendors are really interested because they have to man a whole sales team. They just don't wanna do that. I get it in the mid market. I get it for certain spot sizes. Look, manage your vendor relationships well, make sure you're doing a good job with your deal reg stuff. Call them out when they do it, but I would say don't spend so much time worrying about that. The real money is on the services anyway, and that's where you're, like even if the even if the vendor beats you in there and sells that product direct, you're still gonna make a ton of money on the services, so just go for that. Sure, fair enough. So where does the
0: role of distribution that fit into all of this, right? Because so far we talked about vendor, MSP or solution provider and end customer, right? Right. But then there is this carve down right, in between MSD solution provider, and vendor. Right? There's this distribution bubble that exists. Like, how do you how do you factor that into this entire conversation from your perspective?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of areas where distribution adds really good value, right? And I, particularly right now, I always am bleeding off with how good a job distribution is doing in tel- in terms of helping with financing, the financial support, yeah. the credit lines. Like, you, you've got to start there because particularly with all of the stuff we're seeing in terms of like the market right now, like it's kind of a crazy place, right? So I, w- I would sort of say like, you know, we've definitely got to make sure that you're protecting yourself cash wise and you're taking advantage of all these programs. You know, there some recent uh, some recent data, SolarWinds put out their COVID-19 impact response research, right? 59% of surveyed MSPs applied for government financial relief programs. Seventy-four percent of them got it right, and I'm the first one to like applaud. Like, go for it. That is what these programs are for. <laughs> there is no shame in taking that when the mar- when the economy is doing what it's doing. There is also every reason to take distribution up on their offers to finance things. Like that is what they are awesome at doing. The second thing they're really great at doing is they are good at helping you manage the complex vendor relationships. Like you need to work on deal registration. You need to work with them to make, to resolve these conflicts. Distribution can do that for you. These are the areas that they are really good at. And, you know, I'm, I'm the first one to sort of say, admit, like I've been down on distribution before, and I admit it, and I'm eating crow publicly Saying I have been so impressed by the way they've stepped up that I'm coming back and saying, like, look, they are proving their value when it's needed most. Leverage them for these programs.
0: Sure. No, I, I appreciate that feedback. And frankly, it sounds like it's a mistake to not investigate your options there. Because otherwise you'll lose that on financing and financial vehicles that you otherwise
1: wouldn't have. Right, and so, why would you, fair, why would you? Fair. Yeah, why you, the small solution provider, are going to take any financial risk, particularly right now when cash is king? Conserve it as much as you can. If the distributor is going to help you and add that value and help you navigate all of the deal reg and conflict, man, take it, take, the, take that yeah, that help for sure. So, so let's pivot
0: a little bit. You mentioned the financial program, obviously here in Japan, the United States know, PPE forgiveness is starting to, you know, kick in and, you know, all the other programs that came along with that. And we'll never know if there's going to be another round or not. You know, that's just the political game that we're all watching on TV. Right. But, you know, switching to job numbers, right, what are you hearing now from a, you know, it sounds like unemployment, you know, is going down, right? The are that are going in front of so it's going down. Obviously, the initial supplemental federal... Unemployment, you know, on top of the state benefits ha- has gone away until they decide to maybe bring it back. We'll see. Are, do you see MSPs now start to reset from people that otherwise were furloughed or, or let go? Or are we still on a holding pattern here your perspective?
1: We're still figuring it out, and I, and I want to make sure that, well, yes, you're not wrong that unemployment has gotten a little better. It's still in record territory, <laughs> like we're talking 10%. So I, I, don't want to, you know, I don't want to give people this impression that I'm like, oh, it's getting so much better so fast. This whole V-shape recovery thing, not happening there 's some new here 's again you know everybody knows i 'm the data nerd that 's why i 'm constantly pulling them out for my show on Gartner just had some new data come out around worldwide banking and securities IT spending now. I like this marketplace because the capital market space is not struggling, right? The problem in the economy is not lack of, cr- lack of money. It's not lack of credit. It's not like the financial meltdown that we see in, in 2008, 2009. The current situation is because the government shut down sections of the economy. You know. So, so the banking industry is not a problem. Well, Gartner now says that market space on IT spend is going to drop 4.7% this year okay so oh that 's right. a pretty big drop that's a substantial drop right so so that's that's important to look at because I look at banking and i 'm saying that's not an industry that's having a problem yet they are also trimming trimming up so and and this is what we're starting to see, right? If they've just started banking, starts trimming it up, that means the IT spend is gonna go down. You're gonna see that happen over the next few months. Like this is a mm-hmm. longer term, it takes a lot longer for the ripple effects to come through. Now, again, I am come at this from the perspective of I desperately hope to be wrong, right? I I I want to be wrong here. I want this, I want everyone to plan this way thinking, well, there's warning, but it proves out to be not as bad. That's the best solution for everybody. But what I'm worried about is, is that it takes a little bit of time for these things to flow through the system, right? You just mentioned PPP money just run out. That means a lot of people were holding on to employees as long as they could, or they weren't necessarily impacted. Now, with those programs running out, we're gonna start like you know, the economy is essentially now out there on its own. Let's, let's see what happens. I'm expecting spending to be a little bit lower. Uh, I'd heard, you know, Forrester has some data out. Now they're projecting kind of a 17% drop in revenues for solution providers when you look at it for the year. That's the, that's the current like, mo- you know, highest probability case. So I'm looking at this saying, it's a, still a little early. I'm not ready to declare any kind of victory. I'm just saying like, if I'm, if I'm a captain of the ship, I'm looking out saying those waters look choppy and I think they're choppy for a while i would love for this you know like so so far it hasn't been it hasn't been as bad as we've thought and the numbers have been have been better but they're not getting better fast like they're not getting fast this is a if, if even if we're looking at a recovery it's not a v-shaped one it's probably a u-shaped one meaning going a long time out before it gets better so my the long-winded version of saying like a, i i'm feeling like the, the market is just at this point. We're going to see, start seeing a lot of new data points come out towards the end of August and into September, particularly, like, we'll see what the politicians come up with, right? But we'll know either way. And we'll start having some data about what it means to be without that level of protection. We're seeing big companies do layoffs, though. I'm expecting that, you know, when I when I well, look out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, hear about, you hear about,
0: especially the airlines who furloughed, like a half of their staff, right, with their, you know, flight steering. And at some point, those furloughs have to convert to layoffs, right? It's not in right. it at some point.
1: Exactly. And on top of that, I mean, I keep, keep looking going like, you know, there are sections of the economy that are just really damaged. You can't tell me this doesn't have a ripple effect. So, and I'm and you're seeing it, right? Again, when I point, when I can see projections for the banking industry to be down. Banking is not an industry that you know they, they were able to pivot to work from home. Those people are still needed. Cash is still flowing, but we know they're also impacted. So, thanks.
0: Let
1: me. I mean. This may be a very interesting question, but I feel it's worth mentioning
0: in the same light. Does the presidential election have any effect on the IT services industry?
1: You know it's a it's a good question um so i definitely can say like we're seeing uh you know and i'm gonna gonna be careful to just analyze this because we're not gonna have a politics discussion here um but silicon valley has been reacting positively to the the announcement of kamala harris as the as vp there's been a lot of buzz on that how silicon valley is feeling very comfortable with that um i definitely think that we're gonna see the market you know, make some, I definitely think when I talk about the stock market, I think there's gonna be some moves that happen leading up to the election because of the uncertainty of the date itself. I think there's probably gonna be some companies that try an IPO. Um, so, I th- and I think technology companies may be in that, that, that realm. Think about it from a supply and demand perspective. There's a lot of money floating out there that really wants to get in on the market, right? There's there's a lot of people that are doing really well at the high end. They want to put their money somewhere and a ton of IPOs are not coming out this year. So for, you know, if you're in the hospitality industry, you're in the travel industry, you're in like, there's all these sections where like, if you were going to pop as an IPO, you are not doing it right now. So. You know, so I'm gonna we're gonna see that. Will it affect services providers? Sure. There's gonna be areas of the market that are gonna probably get a little bit hot or a little bit trend up as they make moves coming into that. Um, I think the other bit that we may see, I think regulation is always kind of the uh, the last dark horse in there. We may see some moves happen from a regulation perspective right beforehand, and. We're gonna. They may make moves anticipating a, a potential change on the other side. We'll see. Interesting. So, speaking about
0: IPOs, whether it makes a difference or not, I think the answer is no, if I guess properly from your, your podcast. But, you know, you have Datto and SolarWinds, who have both kind of made news in that, that area, right? Datto pre- preparing, you know, for a 2021 transaction of some sort and then solarwinds msp and solarwinds may be actually like separating and splitting into separate entities what what does that mean for for everyone watching
1: okay so let's let let me make trying to be uh put my journalist hat on for a second ip uh, datto has not announced anything (laughs) <laughs> yeah, So like they, they as a company have not announced anything. There are no dates. They have simply, we have, we have understanding that they have filed confidentially that they are intended to IPO. So there's no dates, okay? SolarWinds uh, on their recent investor call has, has announced to the market that they have gotten approval to, uh, to consider a spinoff of their MSP group. That's, that's where we're at. Um, neither is known. The leadership at SolarWinds has indicated that if they were to do anything, it is a big if, that it would happen in 2021. Now, in in the interest of full disclosure, I am a stockholder in SolarWinds, right? So it's that's important to to call out so that people understand that, that you know, I have some money there. Um, Let's address each one individually because I think they are unrelated, okay? Um, from, from the Datto perspective, of course they're gonna IPO. Shocking, right? Like everybody knew this. This, is, this was completely the way this was on track for. Um, I, I said it on the podcast, I completely predict that they're gonna make a pile of money, right? Like I just, like they will go out and it, it will make a pile of money. Here's why. The market, as I said, is desperate for a place to put money. Technology is a great industry, doing rather well. <laughs> and when you have a restricted supply, man, and you have something coming out that looks good, demand is gonna pop. I think that is that has no statement of any kind as to the viability of managed services, SMB as a market, like, I don't think it matters at all in terms of those those discussions. It is no judgment at all. That's positive or negative, right? It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. They're just going to pop, and the investors are going to make some money. It's actually a, probably a pretty good time to file your IPO if if the market is restricted on supply, and we know they've been going that way for a while. As for as for solar winds, um, you know, like it's an int- it's interesting for them. You, we know that they are they are they are a publicly traded company. They are going to be making moves that are about increasing stockholder value. If they, if they are finding and operationally that they can get better efficiencies separate or they can run, they're not getting the benefit and they can move more aggressively separate, that's why they're gonna do it. I'm gonna call out, uh, Channel EDE had some really great coverage of this and talked about the, and the interview. So if you haven't read those, I would encourage people to do that. In that interview, you can find exactly where the thinking is. Their GM, John Paliuka, came out and said, as a separate entity, he can move more easily on small acquisitions in the three to $7 million range. So I would say, let's turn to everybody, vendor in the channel and go, hey vendors, if this happens, somebody's in the market and we'll be doing a bunch of buying, right? But I, don't, but I would sit here and say that's their strategy. This is to free up the ability to go buy additional companies. If you believe that there is value to you as a provider in their ability to buy more companies, this is good for you. If you believe that that is all they're doing and they aren't spending those dollars on building things, you may be more negative on that.
0: Fair enough, which, which actually brings up a question by Brent on the, uh, on the phone. You know, so basically, his, his, his question is, hey, is there, is there a disruptor somewhere out there that can throw a, a grenade in the middle of all this? And his example is, hey, you know, Panasonic Avionics rolled out a Wi-Fi solution and it looks like Go-Go, but predominantly the Wi-Fi provided for airplanes, uh, you know, at least in Mexico here in the U.S., is going out of business, right? The smaller player, I don't know if Panasonic is really smaller, but he's saying, yeah. is there something similar in our space where there's, a, where there's, there's an up-and-comer that's, that's really ready to
1: just disrupt
0: the big guys up there.
1: So when you've got a couple of players that are all kind of neck and neck and they're all kind of offering the same thing, you certainly have the conditions for the space to be disrupted. Uh, what that looks like... I I don't have, I don't know yet, like, you know, that, that, but I, you know, I have, I have ideas, right. If we just, we could, we could talk about like the way that could go. Somebody could come in uh, truly with a new, new way of delivering it, right. Like offer some of those same pieces at pennies on the dollar, right. So you could do it it from the perspective of like it come in with, you know, that kind of 80% for 20% of the price. Um, somebody could completely disrupt it i would i well, you know i'm looking at the space going i actually just saw a very early alpha of an open source rmm what an interesting idea uh, <laughs> right you look and say now that's you know, early days. Right. And, and, and that would require that everyone talks about the number about open source and I'm a big believer in open source, but unless you get a number of developers all working on it and really driving to scale. And oftentimes that includes corporate investment doing it. I'm not going to sit here and say everybody, like, I think open source is going to disrupt the space. That said, there's another way this could get disrupted. And this could get disrupted by solution providers themselves in the way that they look at the space, right? So I, I put out a video talking about if I was founding an MSP today. And what was interesting to me was the idea of, I took it from the perspective of, I'm gonna build a business application focused MSP and start there and work my way down. Um, And I worked through my, my plan of that. And I put Microsoft and Azure and Azure AD and Intune right at the core of my offering there. That's a very different style of MSP. I could build, I could envision building an MSP built around Google, right? I could actually see one where I'm focused on G Suite, on uh app business applications on top of it, going all in on Chromebooks. Like you can see a really interesting idea. Right. So maybe the MSP space decides to get disruptive by the way they move on their business. There's a couple of these factors out there. I covered it on the podcast. I always encourage people to catch up on these things because this is a couple of weeks old. Microsoft has a job listing out for somebody around a cloud PC role. What they're trying to do is develop a next generation of their Windows virtual desktop offering where Microsoft all owns all the management services. It's kind of interesting, right? Like I can see a space for that. Lenovo just made a bunch of announcements about their fully managed, you know, managed services for the, for the, for the piece. I could see building a managed services provider, managed services in kind of in quotes, where I'm much more focused on the idea of business applications, and I'm leveraging those technologies for the core stuff. Like, it, I can see disruption that way. So it's interesting, like, is the space ripe for disruption? Yeah, there's some conditions here that tell me, maybe it is particularly if you think about it from a maturity level, we wouldn't have all of the PE in this space if it wasn't somewhat mature. No, that's, that's, that's totally true. Let me pick up a, a piece that you actually just touched on because very timely,
0: right? Microsoft Inspires a few weeks ago. You hear Microsoft with Intune came to be really starting to concentrate on the MSP vertical where they maybe haven't put the investment in it that here You heard along with that, Intune starting to say, a center position. You hear a collaboration between Microsoft and SolarWinds from a, yep. an RFN type collaboration.
1: Where, where do you see that going? So uh, Microsoft really interests me, and I consider them very innovative and different right now. Uh, like they, they, they are. Uh, Satya Nadella is is a is a really a great leader to that organization. You can you can tell he is driving them to think about their marketplaces in new ways. Let's talk at a real high level strategy for them. Everything is about their Azure business. Everything is about their Azure business. <laughs> like, and, and let me give you a let me give you a really like kind of out there example to 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 paint the picture. Um, Microsoft is moving really aggressively, of course, this holiday season with their Xbox Series X and their X Cloud offering. What's really interesting about the way Microsoft is attacking the market versus Sony is that Microsoft is coming in here where the core product really appears to be their subscription service Game Pass much more than the devices. Sony is really worried about selling PlayStations. Microsoft wants to sell you xCloud and Game Pass pass and here and why they can give away x Cloud and instead sell azure licensing to the software providers to put their games running on azure <laughs> so that's why XCloud really matters in that subscription service now we all put our managed services monthly recurring revenue lens on that going Oh, I get it. <laughs> like if we can get end users to consume the computing power, I'm using the generic terms, right? The computing power of the gaming, and I sell the capacity to the providers, that's a great business for them. So let's think about this on in our market cloud services azure stuff on microsoft 365 all powered by the back end it's really great for them to get as many workloads onto that as possible so their interest in in investing in intune super interesting like this is and this is a long play intune's, intune's been around for a long time and they've slowly been working on it and keep getting it it's finally hit that point I think it's very telling, the partnership between SolarWinds and Microsoft. What did they do? Their, their micro, uh, SolarWinds has said, we're not going to build that because Microsoft already has it locked up. We're going to integrate with it. And pulling from their own webinar, Microsoft said those are all just open APIs. The, the power of their, of their uh, partnership is that they like each other right? They work well together. They do a ton of business together. <laughs> it's, so it's good for them to work together. Of course it is. And it makes logical sense, right? SolarWinds binds to the Intune offering. They extend from one another. But let's not, not miss out on the fact that SolarWinds has said, we can't build that better. We can't do that better. We're going to let them have that space. So when I look at this from a, from a disruption perspective, how, where is the line? And Microsoft's really good at this, right? They've got their own AV products, but they allow space for the rest of the market to have additional ones. They've got, you know, other security products. They've got a backup product. They have space for their partners to do other things. I completely expect Microsoft to run exactly that playbook. The question is, we just don't know quite where the edge is. But I, my thinking would say, I'm going to lean in on my Microsoft relationship because it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was a
0: good point, it's definitely here, right? I think instance for a better part of a decade, has been out there, but it's really, you know, to, to my friend Ken Patterson from MacBase, he says the last year's been super exciting, right? I mean, what they've done with it. Where the last nine-year five to that's been eh, not so great.
1: They, they are. They can be slow in a market, but they get it right. If they keep playing at it, they will get it right. They will come for you. Look at You can see it in all of their things, right? They're, they're coming for Zoom. Teams, all of a sudden, like tons of investment there. Why? They're coming for Zoom. Why? Cloud workloads. <laughs> it's all really good. It's all tied into the strategy, and you can completely see it. So yeah, I, I think they're another kind of interesting player to think about the way that this might get a little bit disrupted.
0: So... Since we're on the topic of Microsoft, and I think yesterday the news dropped that they're now taking three orders for their new dual-screen, duo, Android-powered smartphone after every failed Windows phone that ever came before us. This thing's going at like 1500
1: bucks. Do you think it's going to make it? Maybe, and I don't think it has to. So the, the interesting thing that I'm going to look to is, is I'm going to look to the Surface space, right? So, so Microsoft has their Surface line, the the conventional laptops and Surface devices in that space, right? Microsoft doesn't have to have a massive market share in those devices. They're simply setting the floor saying, it needs to look like this. <laughs> if, if you're worse than this, you're not good enough. And they can drive that, that feature functionality upward and have some input into it. We, we all know they've lost on the, on the operating system. They know they've lost in the operating system. They're not competing that way. But what they can do is they can say, you know, in mobile phones, we think there's an opportunity to get from, you know, in, in some additional functionality, we can add some additional value here and we can have some influence over the market. So I think that's the reason why I'm like intrigued by it. I don't think they need to do incredibly well. By the way, it's not priced from the, from a mass market perspective. That's priced in a way where they're they're showing what the market can do and they're they're driving new ideas i like that i mean when's when's the we haven't seen a form factor change in mobile devices in a while i'm kind of ins- excited to see them try
0: no i'm i'm i'm, a, I'm on a surface now i'm, I'm a surface guy everyone you know, our company gets one variant of a surface they just seem to work well uh, but yeah I'm, I'm intrigued by it i i'm an, i'm it's funny, I'm a Microsoft everything guy, except when it comes to my cell phone, right? After. Right. Uh, it just works, and it works more than it doesn't. I feel like Android, Yeah, you know, the Android fans out there love, Yeah, you know, they have their fanatics, but there's way more tweaking and tinkering you have to do to keep those phones running. I'm curious to see how tightly integrated Microsoft built all of their stacks to that device line on Android. It feels... It's something completely different than what
1: they've done before, obviously. Yeah, and what's what's also interesting there, by the way, is is so because I'm also an iPhone user, right? So I'll hold up my uh, mine as well. Let's no- note that I'm sure we both are using Microsoft platform stuff on those devices. Fully loaded with all the Office Suite, with Teams, with Skype. So Microsoft has done a really nice job of making sure their stuff is everywhere. Like they, they, are, they are making sure that they are the productivity platform and they've, they've pivoted smartly in terms of moving away from just thinking of Windows. So I give them a ton of credit. No, they're not. Let's talk about security for a second because even over the last
0: day or two, there's been large security breaches again that are hitting the headlines, right? Uh, what was the one that just hit? Uh, Sands, Sands Club? Oh, Sands Institute? Okay. Just had a 100,000 plus gauge breach? Okay. So when does this stop being? You know, the security thing just seems like it's just waiting for the next guy to get hit. The insurance companies are clearly going to pivot and start charging more. MSPs seem to not wake up to this until they themselves get hit or one of their customers. The software that they're using has some maybe been in the middle of that. It just seems like an ever-evolving situation. So I'm just trying to understand when everybody figures out that you know it's now time to do something different. What, what, what where does this go? Dude? How does this get better?
1: So you're teasing, you're, you've, you've, without even knowing, because we hadn't talked before that, you've uh, teased up. I've got an interview coming out on the weekend on my podcast. It'll be out on Monday on my YouTube channel with Joseph Brunsman, who is a cybersecurity expert in the insurance space. So he's an insurance broker, focuses on this space. So he and I talk in the interview about why rates are going up, what insurers are looking for, where those trends are happening from the insurance angle. So So it's a really interesting conversation about what's going on in that marketplace. Let me, I'm going to keep saying this till everyone is tired of hearing it, but I don't think enough people have heard it yet. We really have to be thinking differently about the way we talk about security. Armed gangs of criminals are breaking into businesses and they are holding business owners hostage with attack weapons. By the way, I would tell everybody catch the Business of Tech tonight, where I talk about the new franchise model that ransomware provide, like creators have started doing, where they've built an affiliate network to deploy ransomware. It's an incredible franchise model that they've all built, so that they're, I mean, they're printing money over the on the adversary side. So catch the episode today; it drops today at five. Um, but in answer to your question, what changes it? Look, if what, what I just described with those criminals was happening on the streets, there would be calls to arms. The government, like state governments would be told, city governments would be getting involved with their police departments, with their investigators pulling in the FBI. This is why we're gonna be regulated as an industry. This is why regulation is coming for us. The window is shortening. <laughs> the window is shortening for solution providers to do something about it, to start demanding that we do something, <laughs> that we actually pull together. And this is going to have to fall on solution providers. Again, That when what I had what I this discussion with, with Joseph, we talk about, why regulators are making the moves they're doing, how they're thinking. I think this is gonna change, and our window to be part of the solution is closing. <laughs> it will because state AGs are not, attorney generals are not gonna let this happen. We've clearly seen the moves already in Louisiana. I'm aware of several others. <laughs> this is this is not the end of it. I'm not ready to report on it because I'm not, you know, we're not at that point yet, but don't think anybody who's sitting out there saying, Oh, the Louisiana thing is a one-off. It's not going to, you're not paying attention. <laughs> it's change. This is a whole market space. And this is, you know, for me, you know, this is what I'm spending a lot of my time working on and researching for the, for my podcasts is around these kinds of issues, because I think this is the big change.
0: But I mean, what about the company who, like Garmin got hit, they paid the multi million dollar payout to bring their business back online, well, and the response is it's a tax reduction. Yeah,
1: well it's I it's mean, I mean it's at some point, right, we're we're gonna move toward uh More significant regulation on us as the industry, on the provider perspective, we are going to get privacy laws in this country. They are coming more and more, and I mean, and you can see it because it may—it's probably going to happen to the marketplace. So the EU just recently announced that they are no longer going to recognize the U.S. EU Privacy Shield law, right? That that's not good enough anymore. It doesn't cover EU citizens. There's some 5,800. Companies of all sizes that are now having to that were using that as their protection and their shield now they're not able to do that anymore. So the EU is going to start having you know start dictating U.S. law because. Last I checked, we all want to do business there. Right? Like, or even if you, the local provider, doesn't, your customers probably do. There are some of your customers that do business across international lines. The rest of the world, i.e. Europe in particular, is not going to let this all just go. So these bits are coming. So I I, I hear you. I think what it, what it's, where I see this, this going is... like citizens and are not going to tolerate this level and enough businesses are going to start seeing the impact. We're seeing an increase on insurance. I mean, again, we're going to use Garmin and I'm just speculating, but I bet their insurance is going to be a whole lot more expensive going forward, right? Exactly. A lot more. These, These ransomware incidences, these security breaches, they are not cheap, right this is not a small i mean we're measuring it in the millions we're not good this is not sustainable something's going to change
0: but pivoting to the other side dave now you have the bad guys the state-sponsored you know software companies basically building in all the back doors anyway right TikTok is the one. we chat right here at the bang that was signed, hey, if something's not done within 45 days, it's like wearing the protection from the existing marketplace to prevent that from happening because it's happening from an app that should be safe because it's already in the store, right?
1: Right now, look, we have to we have to acknowledge if we're going to talk if we're going to bring up TikTok and we're going to bring that up that that is that is very much a set of political moves and we've that is very wrapped up in politics because you know from a from it's a perception versus reality. We all know there's a bunch of security experts that have looked at TikTok and said it's not any different than Facebook or Google in terms of their extraction. I would make I could make a pretty solid argument that the market was going to take care of that on its own. Because I because TikTok wanted to IPO, the only way you were going they, and they were moving towards IPOing in the U.S. market. If you're going to go under SEC investigation, like and regulation, and become a publicly traded company, you're not going to be playing dirty games on the back end, and it's going to become exposed. So I think the market might have taken care of that, and I. I said it on the show, and I'm going to kind of kind of keep observing. I think this is a distraction to use TikTok as an example. It's too tied up in U.S.-Chinese relations and the trade war going on for political reasons that you kind of have to separate that out from a smart conversation about regulation and and uh, privacy law. They are connected. I'm not saying that they aren't related. I just have to say, like, as an example, you got to it leans too much to the trade problem versus the privacy stuff. Now, that said, we just had a whole round of massive hearings with Facebook, Apple, Google, and Amazon talking about their anti-competitive moves. You know, I tend to fall on the side of the fact that I think you know, moves need to be taken here. I will point to the fact that antitrust law is the one area where the U.S. government has like a perfect batting average. <laughs> they are great at that. And what they do there, it's the, it is one thing where you even, no matter where you go on government regulation and government intervention, they have a perfect track record. When they come in and they, they take antitrust moves against companies, they oxygenate in a market, a a lot of competition comes now. The market may reform, but I'll say like, you know, the reason why, you know, AT&T and the big bells were broken up to become the baby bells, regulators let them get back together. But it spawned an incredible time of innovation. Even Microsoft, right? Who was who was not broken up, but had antitrust moves made against them that created many of the companies that we're talking about. Google wouldn't have happened if not for the, the 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 Microsoft breakup. It created a bunch of innovation. So I look at this and say, like, this is again. I everyone likes to shake their fist, or a lot of people like to shake their fist, going, "Oh, government bad, government bad." Have a more nuanced thought to this. There is a point where this makes sense, where if they if, if a company is using its power to squash their competition, I don't know, like a company like Instagram, where they have emails saying, I'm going to take out the competition. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe the, maybe this is something that we should look at look at in terms of the marketplace and create a better environment. So I do look and say, like, you know, I'm not, tr- not sitting here being, like, I'm the super pessimistic guy. What I want to say is, is I think there's opportunity in this. Like, I look, I want some better guidelines on this. I want there to be audited elements for solution providers, because I think it's really hard right now. Like, figuring out the right things you need to do and do all the mapping, and you don't really know. And if you have a test for it, like you're kind of on your own. And look, a lot of vendors have done a really nice job of pulling this all together. They're really trying. But wouldn't it be nice to know what actually like works and what actually is the uh, the correct guidelines? I think there's opportunity here.
0: Fair enough. Last thing that comes to the top of my mind as we, you know, traverse the spectrum everywhere from the IP universe is. At what point does the solution provider get to dictate to their vendors things like privacy concerns, security concerns, who has control, who doesn't? Like for example, you know, if you're too small, you're just dealt with the, the standard terms and conditions that this is how it is. The larger you are, right? Now all of a sudden you're stepping to the vendor saying, hey, we need to renegotiate these. We need to redline this agreement. We need, my customers need additional protections that I can't give them the way that your documents, you know, laid out, um, you know, one of that again, I'm not trying to be targeted here, but there's some rumors out there, and again, I'm not the one putting them out there, I'm just reiterating, sure. that sure. the Hillary Clinton emails have been found and decrypted, <laughs> that these emails generated, hey again, I'm not trying to get super political, but, you know, you know the story, this is not new, right? Hillary's people had an MSC, that MSC was a battle partner, that battle information made it into the government's hands. Like, I don't think there was enough protection around that information
1: look i mean right now i mean it's it's a patchwork of laws right we've got laws all in the different states we've got we got no real consistency to it california is making an effort my big piece and i'll i'll highlight this because it's been a lot of discussion i did a session at channel con talking about MSP regulation. This is on solution providers to start banding together. Amy babenchak has put together a Facebook group on discussing regulation and what's happening from a legislation perspective. I would encourage everyone to find that and get involved in the conversation. This is where our trade organizations can come in, be it CompTIA, be it MSP Alliance, it could be ASCII, it could be all of them, it could be some new one. This is where and again, solution providers need to take the lead. I totally believe there's an opportunity for vendors to support that. But solution providers, you cannot wait for the vendor to put some program together or for you've got to take control of this, start having conversations because it is an opportunity. The opportunity is to set the guidelines, to set the direction. Let me point to, and Go, go look at my video on MSP regulation and who will lead us, but I'll reinforce the, look at what the lawyers did. It's super smart. They came up with their own organizations, the state bars. They wrote their own rules. They are lawyers, so they happen to be really good good ones that favor them, but they wrote their own rules and government wants to nod off on that. It's what happened with lawyers, it's what happens with doctors and what happens with accountants. If we put forth guidelines, they will make lots more sense than anything government comes up with on its own. They will, government wants to endorse an idea like this because they know there's a problem and they don't know how to solve it. This is our opportunity. And do not think, you know, you can just kick back and, and say, well, you know, I'm good enough. So, you know, it'll just work out because I'm already delivering services. Because think about that. If you let non-qualified people write the regulations, you may be good enough and not fit the regulations because the regulations are wrong. <laughs> so now you've made a bunch of work for yourself and you have to go fight regulations that don't make sense. Don't let it happen to you. So Dave, how, how do people find you? Uh, I know you
0: just mentioned this, this insurance, cyber insurance expert coming up. I know you obviously referenced a lot of these you know, podcasts and videos that you've been putting out. Some of them really recent, some of them a little bit further back, but it's all coming together. Where where
1: do people find all of that content? So I'm easy to find. Everything is at mspradio.com. What I would say is there's two big things to do. The first is hit the blue subscribe button. Find the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. It's free, everybody, and it's only five minutes a day. So you can find it however you want to listen to that news, even on Amazon devices in your flash briefing. mspradio.com, there's a big blue subscribe button. I put out all of the content, including these long-form editorials, come out on the podcast. On Mondays, I put out a, vi- a video version of it on my YouTube channel, which you can also now find. It's at youtube.com slash C or there's a link right on mspradio.com. I really encourage people to hit the red subscribe button and then hit the little bell to get the notification. That way you know when these things come out. It's designed to be easy to consume. Five minutes of podcast content a day, you're getting three to four stories with information and a perspective of why you care. Really
0: appreciate you coming on Dave. I like, sounds like you're kind of a free spirit out in the world just trying to educate the world. So I appreciate you for you know keeping topical, I guess, and you know, bringing some of the more important you know news you know, to the top of the board, you know, the top of the bubble, if you would. And uh, I really think Q3 going into November, because <laughs> we all know what happened then, you know, there's got to be stuff that all intertwines to that point, in my opinion. I think that's going
1: to be the focal point of the rest of 2020. I, I, look, I, I think you're, I think you're right. Look, I'm out here just, I'm trying to spark conversation. Like I don't sit over here saying I have every answer. It's why I dig around in as much data as I do. If somebody thinks that I'm wrong, I'm the first one to go. That's awesome. I'm glad you think something because you formed an opinion and now you can do something with that information. It's okay to be wrong. I'm, Fine with that. In fact, I really welcome the debate. So find me, reach out, let me know what you're thinking about these ideas, and I look forward to continu- to coming on anytime you need me, George.
0: <laughs> awesome. And uh, Brent, I am currently on the Channel Strong RV bus on my way to Phoenix, Arizona for our next Channel Strong in person live outdoor event. For everyone that's following us or not, you can find us at slash uh, Channel Strong Tour. Yeah, we're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. If you even, you just search for hashtag channel Strong, we'll see our entire progress and we're trying to do some, you know, some recent updates as we're traveling around, along the road. So this is 15 cities in three weeks. This is city number four. We've got a long way to go. So definitely keep watching us. And we'll still, still be doing our Tuesday and Thursday uh, MSP Initiative shows like we did today. Thankfully, our hotspot set up uh, worked out today. But uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, and then keep, keep the eyeballs on our tour online. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. And thanks, everybody, for watching today. And we'll see you on the floor.